verse 9, but we're going to read from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. So let's make our way there, stick a finger in Matthew 6, 9, we'll come right back to it, but let's stand and let's read from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place, so the, so the boys have stalked him, they found him, they've watched him, and when he ceased praying, that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. And Father, this morning... May we hear your heart in regards to prayer and why. And God, may you awaken something in us that if we don't have a prayer life, it would be developed through the teaching of your word this morning, that if it's sluggish, it would be impassioned. And if it's on fire, that it would be stoked even hotter. So, Lord, speak to us today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Please notice that they are asking Jesus to teach them to pray. Okay, we all see that? Not what to pray, not what to say. No, that would be like maybe religion, but to do it. Okay, everyone see that? Okay, now back to Matthew chapter 6. But not starting in verse 9, because that's where we should start, but backing up a couple verses to verse 7 to really add some context to the words of Jesus here. As As he writes to his, or as he speaks to his disciples, as we hear his heart. And when you pray, not if, but when you pray, do not use vain or empty repetitions as the heathen do, For they think they will be heard for their many words. So don't pray memorized prayers that have no heart. Or taking the words of Jesus in verses 9 through 11, don't memorize them as just another creed that you're going to pray. Memorize them as a creed, as you memorize scripture, great. But Luke's gospel in verses 7 and 8 here speak about or speak against, wrote, memorized, continually repeated prayers. So when we pray, we want to pray from our hearts that wants to draw near to Jesus and commune with his Father. Come often, please, to the Father. First Peter 5, 7, come often and cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's what needs to happen in El Paso, and in Ohio, and in the Philippines. You got to come. Father, you see at work, change my heart to be Jesus to them. Not change their hearts, God, get them. No, no, no. Something's out of whack in, in your spiritual life. It's, Lord, change my heart to be Jesus to the people there. Father, work in me in, to love my family like you do. Or change me, Father, to be like your son. Anything that's driven from the heart. But intellectual, memorized prayers, mm, I don't really scriptures. Verse 8, therefore don't be like them. And here's why. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Amen? 
He does. In this manner, therefore, pray. So let me give us 11 plus reasons or 11 reminders as to why I should pray. Or if you need, 11 motivating factors to kick your prayer life into hyperdrive as we answer the disciples' question of, or statement of, Lord, teach us to pray. There are some great spiritual truths in this section here that's going to get you excited to pray. And that's why it says, in this manner, therefore, pray, or just, or just do it. This is in the imperative mood here, okay? You must pray, my fellow disciple, Jesus says in this section. But please notice, to who? To who? To our Father. Now think about this. How does the reality of having a Father in heaven motivate you or excite you to pray, my fellow little child of God? Hyper-Pentecostal would come to mind. I mean, think about it. I mean, it should make our, our prayer life on fire, team. This is all privilege for us as God's kids. Cheat and look ahead at verse 11 in chapter 7, please. 7 verse 11. The context is that of asking. We'll get there in a couple weeks, months, somewhere. Look what it says. If you then being evil. Anyone have a problem being called evil by Jesus? Uh, if you do, go stand next to God and you'll find out how evil you are. Because when you stand next to God, you're going to go, Oh, I'm wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. When Isaiah is in the presence of God in Isaiah 6, he says this, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. We're all evil. Well, that doesn't make me feel good. Well, look, look, but watch the promise. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Can you say that? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, only those with the Father in heaven have this privilege team, and Jesus knows that. I understand people pray all around the world to God. I hear it from many people, especially we're just coming back from the Philippines. Hey, so why do you think God's going to let you into heaven? Because I pray. Really? Yeah, because I pray. Really? And I do other works. Really? Well, then why did Jesus have to die? But that's what they think. I pray these random prayers, and I'm going to get into heaven. So let, let's take a little, uh, 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 I don't know, a little statistical test here. How many people here believe if I pay, pray random prayers to God, I'm going to get into heaven? Raise your hand. Anybody believe that? Yeah, let the record show no one thinks that. But that's what the world thinks. See, you and I, we have a father that wants to give good things to those who ask him? That's why the first thing that Jesus uses to motivate his men to pray here is, boys, you have a loving, caring father. You have a father that is attentive to your cares. That's what he's telling them. But boys, you have to not only look up, but you got to pray to your father. But not just your father. You have a father in heaven. Now, please understand, this is all new concepts to them. In the Old Testament, you didn't pray this way. You didn't approach God this way, but it apparently it's always been in the heart of God to pray this way because Jesus hasn't died and rose again from the dead, but this is not how they approach God. But this should motivate us to pray. 
We have a Father in heaven who loves us to death. That's why he sent his only son to die for us, to prove to us, to demonstrate to us how much he loves us. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. So this is all privilege for those who have turned from their way of being Lord over their life and have turned to Jesus as the Lord over their life. Plus, Jesus says in John 14.6, no man comes to the Father except through me. Tell the person beside you, it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. See, we have access to our Father because Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is the Lord of our lives. That's why we have access. We don't approach the Father based upon our own holiness or righteousness or because we have some religious works like I pray to God and so now I'm holy. No, that's crazy. Those are lies from the devil to keep you out of a life-changing relationship from Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, if you think you're able to approach the Father based upon your own goodness, I suggest to you that you read Luke chapter 18, verse 10, where Jesus puts forth two examples, and one is heard, and the other one, well, you can read it if you need to. You and I, we have access to our Father in heaven only based upon the receiving of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, period. So please, having a bad day, the enemy of your soul, your flesh, is driving you and lying you. And he says this, no, he's praying to your Father in heaven today because he ain't going to listen to you. I mean, look at what you're doing right now. How dare you go and pray? Team, listen, those are the times we must pray. Yes, it is true, our Father in heaven is holy and righteous, but bad times I'm heaven, I've got to approach my Father in heaven. Bad times I'm heaven, I've got to approach my Father in heaven. He is not never going to be standing there with a spanking board when I realize, oh, I'm sinning, and I'm like, well, am I going to go? And your flesh says, or the demons say, don't go. Oh, yeah, I'm probably going to get spanking. No, he is never going to be standing there with a spanking board. If you think he is, you need to go read your Bible. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And we know Jesus is our high priest. It says that in the preceding verses. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I have no idea how this all plays out in heaven. But as I approach my Father, I want to come to Him boldly by the Son and receive mercy and grace to help me in my time of need when I'm blowing it. Because I'm not coming based upon my righteousness. I'm coming based upon the righteousness of Jesus. John writes very familiar words that we've hidden in our hearts in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. That if we confess our sins... Our Father is faithful and just, not only to forgive us, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't ever not go because of you, but always go because of Him. And as we approach our Father in heaven wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, my Father, my father does not see my failures ever. He sees me, past tense, glorified. You know where that's at? I'm not going to tell you where it's at. You should know where that is. That's how the Father sees me. I, I'm not, I haven't even got a glorified body yet, but that's how he sees me. That's the relationship we have based upon us accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ. And my Father and your Father will never, ever remind us of our sin. Like, never. 
our flesh, those lying fallen angels will remind us, but our Father will never, ever remind us because it's been put away as far as the east is from the west. Team, if, I'm his, if, if he's my father, then I'm the child. So I have this intimate relationship with my holy, righteous father in heaven. Now, please, don't come to the father in heaven as an adult or a teenager. Our dad up there, he can see right through that stuff. We got to come to him as a child would. We need to be real and honest and pour our heart out and ask. Kind of like this. Picture a little kid wanting the cookie really bad, or a carrot stick if you brainwash your kids, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. No emails, please. But they plead and they plead until they get an answer. Well, that's how we're to, to come. As we view this title here, Our Father in Heaven. Please, again, remember, no Old Testament saints ever prayed like this. They had to go through a priest who then in turn had, had to sanctify himself by all these washings and, and bloodshed. And then he went and turned to Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe. There's only a few places we see in the, in, in the Old Testament where the capital F for Father shows up in the Old Testament. One such place is when the Lord God came to David and said to David regarding his son Solomon that was going to rule, he said this, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And it's like, wow, that almost sounds like a relationship like we have. Yeah, but the context is that of discipline. Here's the rest of it. If your son commits iniquity, David, I as his father will chasten him, chasten him with the rod of and with the blows of the sons of men. That's the first place. Here's others. First Chronicles 29.10. David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Psalm 89.26. You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Isaiah 63.16. Doubtless you are our Father, though Abraham was ignorant of us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father. Isaiah 64.8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. Jeremiah 3.19. You shall call me my Father and not turn away from me. Of course, they did. Malachi 1.16, a son honors his earthly father and a servant his master. If I of them have your heavenly father, where is my honor? Of course, they don't. Malachi 2.10, have we not all one father? That's it. That's it, team. The word father shows up 979 times in the Bible. I looked up every single one of them. And in the Old Testament alone, the word father shows up 659 times, and out of that 659 times, only eight of those deal with our father in heaven. Okay, so do the math. Well, that leaves us 320 verses in the New Testament to check out, and I did. And in the New Testament, 69 of those fathers deal with you and I as fathers on this earth, but a whopping 251 times. The return of Christ is only in the New Testament 100 times. But in the New Testament alone, our Father in heaven shows up 251 times. I mean, if you don't think about or consider you have a Father in heaven, you're not going to pray all the time. And if you don't know you have a Father in heaven, well, it's because you're not reading your Bible. I mean, God's Word literally screams to you and I every time we pick it up that we have a Father in heaven. As a matter of fact, if you're into statistics, the only book in the Bible that doesn't have the Father in heaven in it is 3 John. Otherwise, it's in every single book, multiple times over. 
In the New Testament, out of these 251 times, 39 to Matthew, Matthew is written to the Jews, 5 is in Mark, written to the Romans, 27 in Luke, written to the Gentiles, so a total of 71 out of the first three books of the New Testament, way more than the Old Testament of eight. But the name of our Father in heaven shows up a whopping 111 times in John's gospel that was written to the church. 111 times. You see why Jesus is saying, hey, look, you got a Father in heaven. It's going to be the single most great. See, it's not, okay, now I start to pray, okay, our Father who art in heaven, I need these things. No, no, no. That's not, that's, that's wrong. You have a Father in heaven. Ask, come to him, commune with him. First and second, John, we find our Father in heaven another 17 times. So the gospel writer and the epistle writer, both the same person, the Apostle John used the word Father for our Father in heaven 128 times as he writes to you and me, the church. I think our Father in heaven is seeking to teach us something just by looking at the stats team. Please, again, understand, our Father in heaven was never approached this way in the Old Testament like you and I have complete access to him now because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why considering who I'm praying to should be a good quick quick or good kick, swift kick for any prayer life if I need it. It should motivate me. And considering where he is, a double kick. He is in heaven ruling the world, ruling his universe. Our Father governs over everything. He doesn't lose sight of anything. He saw the fairies before they flipped. He saw the shootings before they happened. He saw my daughter leaving before the shooting happened. See, our Father in heaven can turn the governmental officials' hearts like a river that cut a bank and changes direction. If you ever ever lived where there's these raging rivers, they carve into the banks and change the direction whenever they want to. And that's why I want to detour here for one moment. First Timothy chapter 2, please. Because today we're a little messed up, I think, in the church. Maybe we're not, but maybe across the world. See, God governs over everything. He governs over the officials. Well, then why is it all messed up? Well, hang on. I think we're going to answer that when we get to First Timothy chapter 2. Therefore... I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, presidents, and all who are in authority, governors, mayors, supervisors, all of those in authority, and here's why. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And those supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks to our Father and Heaven team, that's the cure to our nation's ill. Our, the, the cure to our nation's ill team. This is it. The disciples of Jesus have the possibility to change our country's of direction according to the word of God here. See, we the bride of Christ, Christ, we've got to take responsibility for the mess we're in and we need to humble ourselves and pray. And why? So that we may live in and lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 
When Paul wrote this, the church was being persecuted by Rome. Nero was killing Christians. But notice he doesn't say petition them. No, he says pray to your Father in heaven. And these supplications and prayers, these intercessions are going to change people's lives. See, if we the disciples of Jesus think the problem is the government or the liberals or Hollyweird, we're deceived. Those are all blind people, or a lot of them. You know, we saw the cure for the nation's ills last Wednesday night in 2 Chronicles. So please, travel with me. I mean, obviously, if God gives us a picture on Wednesday night and then he, we teach the theology on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I think he's trying to get our attention here. Some of you might even have a plaque of part of this in your house. Not Corinthians, Chronicles, Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles 7, Solomon has completed the building of the temple. The Lord God has appeared to him now two times. And he says to him in verse 12, I've heard your prayer, Solomon. I've chosen this place for myself as a home or as a house of sacrifice. And the Lord will direct his words back to Solomon in verse 17. But verse 13 is now to you and me, his people. Look what it says there. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, they're farmers. Or command the locusts to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. They're farmers. God would do this to get their attention. We have planes and buildings. It got everybody's attention in the church. The churches were packed. For three months, we have mass shootings, we have hurricanes, earthquakes, forest fires, tornadoes, 19 million new STDs every single year, 60 million abortions in our country alone since 1973, between 40 and 50 million abortions worldwide, according to the World Health Organization. Man, that should get our attention. But God says, I'm going to bring these things to get your attention. And then he says this, if my people who are called by my name, I'll tell you what, we're his people. They are the fact of the matter that they are Jews when this was written, but we are the fact that this is our Father in heaven. We're his people. Speaking of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All that the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. I and my Father are one. There's more. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? At that day you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will, lo who will love him and we, speaking Jesus and the Father, will come to him and make our home with him. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask, ask the Father in my name, he will give you. No, I didn't repeat it. Jesus repeats it. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come forth from God. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one, and then in my Father's house are many 
mansions. That's just a few between chapters 14 and 17. Hours away before being arrested. Those are the words of Jesus about his dad. Now, I don't know about you, but I want one of those houses that's up in heaven. And if he's my father, then I'm his people. In my father's house are many mansions. That's what it says, John chapter 14. And if he's my father, then I'm his child. So then, it, then, it, then we go back and look at this in Chronicles. It says, if my people, we're his people, who are called by my name, I'm his name, will humble themselves. That's number one. And pray. Well, that's number two. And seek my face. That's number three. And when you do those three things, number four, you'll turn from your wicked ways. Four things here. Four things here for his people to learn to grasp and own if there's any hope for the church or any hope for our country in these last days we live in. Humble thyself. That's what it's, that's first. You have to realize you are a desperate person because otherwise you're never going to pray if you're not. Oh, yeah, that happened in El Paso. Oh, yeah, that's in Ohio. Oh, yeah, that's in the Philippines. Man, that, that's a calloused heart. Remember we started this whole section when Jesus called his disciples to him? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. God, I'm desperate. When you realize how desperate you are in desperate times that we all live in, in these last days, you will pray and you will seek the Lord's face for forgiveness and conviction of sin and change in us personally and also in the world. And as these three things happen in a believer's life, you will turn from your wicked ways. We don't got any wicked ways. I know that's the problem in the church today. Nobody wants to call the idols of today wicked ways. But, I mean, you can go to Revelation 3. The church of the last days lulls itself to sleep, thinking it's rich, well-off, and in need of nothing, when the reality is to quote our Lord and our Savior. Here's what he says. In the last days, the church will be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, when the church turns from its wicked ways, then God will act. Look what it says. And I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's the formula. Suicides in our own county alone. This is the formula. Now my eyes will be open and made, a, and my ears attended to the prayer made in this place. That's us. The Bible says we're the temple of the living God. He's here. We read it where the, Jesus said, I and I, my Father will come and dwell in you. We're the temple. Our Father would act if a church would put this all into action here. We have a Father in heaven. Back to Matthew. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to set apart. See, this, is, this isn't our Father in heaven, then we stop and go, oh God, thank you almighty God for you're so good. No, 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 no. That's not what it means here. This word hollow means to be set apart. That means there is no one on the planet like our Father in heaven, team. He is the only one. Everything that our Father is, every name he takes upon himself is summed up in hollowed be your name singular, Father. There's none like you. And when you realize I have free access to my Father in heaven, wow should be the first reaction. What problems and obstacles do I have in life now? I don't because I have a Father in heaven. See, 
Obstacles and problems of life should be opportunities to see the power of your Father in heaven blow your mind. You just got to let him. What happens when you worship your father in prayer who sent his son to die for you and has placed his spirit inside you? The problems get small and the Lord God Almighty gets big. See, prayer is not just sharing time, communing time with the Holy One, the only one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when I I realize that is who my father in heaven is, man, I'm going to gladly ask. And I'm going to ask for this. Your kingdom come, Father, for my life. What? That's what it says. I mean, what would be the motivating factor to pray from these three words here? That you know deep within your heart that God, his plan for you is best. Father, your kingdom come for my life. So you know he has a great map, all mapped out for your life to bring glory and honor to him. You know that. And you're content in that. Father, not my will. Look what it says. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. What happens in your heart when you hear that? Keep it in mind. Jesus is seeking to motivate his disciples to pray. I'll tell you what happens in my heart. Freedom comes. So I don't have to try and figure it out. I just need to obey the best I can and live his plan out for my life and not my own and enjoy the journey with Jesus. Whether I was a contractor or a pastor, same way. God, you have to be in charge. 4 a.m. a few hours ago, I'm getting ready to jump in the shower. My phone pings. It's like, ugh. And it's like, forget that. I, I turn the water on and the Lord says, get in and out there and answer that. So I did. Fifteen minutes later, this girl has given her life to Christ. Hi, I've heard you can tell me how to have a relationship with Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Like not answer that? Oh, I'm taking a shower, man. I'm trying to get a couple hours of sleep. No, it's not my will. And it's not your will. That will always get us into trouble. When you and I are not living that way, and we're seeking our own will instead of God's, we are so in control of our lives, we are making ourselves Lord over our lives. We are. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Declares, I want what is your priority to you, Father, to be played out in my life today, even as your priority is played out in heaven every single day. See, this doesn't mean, man, bummer, dude. No, it's only bummer, dude, if you have idols in your life then it's bummer to it. Prayer is always God's will done on this earth. It is never my will done on this earth. No, when I was a heathen, partying, doing that thing, it was my will. I was doing my thing. Whatever I want to do, I did it. But when you turn to Jesus, it's his will. It's his will. And then on top of that, he gives you the desires of your heart. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. But it's never my will done on this earth. My will on this earth is always going to lead to sin or disaster. How about an amen there? That's what it's going to do. I mean, think of Jesus praying this same prayer team in the garden. Literally death to his living body. And, you know, it just so happens we're going to do communion today. Just, you know, if the picture on a to pray and 
last Wednesday doesn't fit what's happening today. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, you know, where Jesus say, hey, look, when you pray, say not my will, but thy will be done. Well, that's what he said in communion. That's what he said in the garden. Our Father in heaven through his Son here is asking us to die to our fleshly wants and desires each day to accomplish his Father's will on this earth every single day. And again, Jesus is not asking us to do something he hasn't already done, team. He lived this out. He literally gave his life. As he prayed that prayer of acceptance in the garden, saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the response from us saying, Dad, not my will, but your will be done. Dad, you take care of me. And the Father answers here, team, that he'll take care of us whenever we need it. And in whatever capacity we need it. See, as we walk through life each day, our feet get dirty. So then we come to our Father and we confess our sins to Him. And He cleanses us. And He forgives us. And He never remembers that. That's part of our daily bread. We face trials and temptations. As we look up and ask, He empowers us in our own weakness to go through the trials and the temptations. But it's also literally our daily food supply, both spiritual as well as physical. Give us what we need every day, Dad. It's part of it. Jesus wants his disciples to know that his Father will always be their provider in every issue of life. He'll faithfully take care of them. There's nothing wrong with personal prayer. Right here it says we're to ask for our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's not talking about financial, you know. Well, we're just going to say forgive our debts and not pay it. No, you should pay it. You signed something saying you'd pay it. No, this is forgive us our sins as we forgive our sinners who have sinned against us. Man, it is so critical as we lay our heads down on the pillow each night that we deal with any sin issue of the day if we had any. You know, as you're laying your head down. For me, sometimes I conk out in seconds. Father, if there's anything wrong, anything I didn't, uh, <laughs> But we want to make sure we wake up with a clean heart, not packing some of the dirt from yesterday. Father, examine my heart and help me to see the wicked ways that are there. And then, Father, please forgive me. Father, please cleanse my heart. And as I experience his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy, it causes me to offer that same forgiveness of grace and mercy to others who've sinned against me. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And do not lead us into temptation. Now, this is so critical in our world today, team. This has got to be a part of our daily prayer life. Father, don't lead us into temptation today. Father, help me to see, because he sees everything. Lord, Father, help me to hear your still voice, because he speaks if we'll listen. Father, help me obey. See, our Father will never tempt us, but He can see it coming before we even think it or see it because He knows everything. The Greek word for temptation here also means an experiment, a trial, or a test. See, we need our Father to see the open doors of escape when we're tested. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13? And he'll always provide a way of escape. But deliver us from the evil one. 
Man, it's so critical part two in this crazy world we live in today. Father, deliver us from the evil one. Man, that's a great place to settle in because, see, our dad can beat up any other dad on the planet. And he's going to deliver us from the evil one because Jesus, has defeat, his son, has defeated him at the cross. He's got no power over us. He can deceive us, but he's got no power over us. Well, the devil made me do it. No, no. He, he threw the bait out there and you went for it. Your choice. But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See that yours? But deliver us from the evil one for, for yours. For, fa- for your father. That's father. It started father and then father. Our father has all power. It belongs to him, team. And all of creation worships him now and for all of eternity. And this is, is followed by a, I believe you for it. That's what amen means. So be it, Father. Make it happen. See, amen is not, and amen, okay, Father, you, I'm done here. You can go, you can go mind your, your business someplace else. I'm all done. No, amen is a firm belief that our Father in heaven is hurt, and he is going to act. And then we walk away because we're confident he's going to act. You know, as a disciple of Jesus, as you pray according to his will, our Father cannot withhold an answer. I don't know if I read this somewhere. It popped into my heart early in the morning this morning. Listen to this. It would go against the nature of our Father to withhold a response from the prayers of his children. It would go against the nature of our Father to withhold a response from the prayers of his children. He wouldn't. It would be so contrary to his nature. He's going to answer. Please notice Jesus repeats only one item from his 11 motivations to get us to pray, and it's for for good reason. Unforgiveness will kill a person's prayer life quicker than anything and possibly keep the Father from answering. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, this concept of forgiveness was such a radical concept to his disciples that Jesus repeats it three sentences later. So I'm going to now try and explain to you what verses 14 and 15 mean in the simplest way I can. For if you forgive men their trespasses, comma, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, period. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, comma, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, period. Any questions about that? I mean, how can it mean anything else? You need forgiveness today? Well, now you know what to do. See, I don't understand why in the church people are bitter towards people. I, I don't get that. You can't be bitter towards people and be forgiven. Jesus says, Your father's not going to allow that. See, Jesus is the one saying this stuff. I'm just reading it. For if you forgive men their trespasses, comma, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Period. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, comma, okay, but I love them, but I don't have to like them. No, you're bitter. You're bitter. That's just a Christian cop-out in these last days of self-love we live in. But if you do not forgive their men their trespasses, comma, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, 
Peter's going to think about this for the next 12 chapters. That's what concept it was to them. For us today, there is a truth I believe we all need to know about forgiveness. And we need to share it with people who are, who are all bound up and bitter, lacking joy in their life. You could share this with a non-believer. But more importantly, share it with a believer. I would just show them 13 and 14 myself. But here's what people need to know. Whoever you don't forgive today rules over you. Whoever you don't forgive today is a torturer of your soul. Well, it was that girl in ninth grade, Judy Richardson, that dumped me. Which is actually a true story. <laughs> but, I, I, but listen, she doesn't remember me from nothing. I just learned how to play the game differently until I got saved after that. See, whoever you don't forgive today rules over your life. You are a slave to that person you're unwilling by your choice to forgive. Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, the, the, the master forgave him his 50 million debt. He in turn goes and doesn't forgive the, his fellow servant that owes him bucks and has him thrown in prison. And when the master finds out about it, he releases that guy. He sends that guy into prison. And, and, and it says, Jesus says right there, and delivers them to the torturers. Why? Because he wouldn't forgive. People are bitter. They have been delivered over to the torture of that person. And personally, I believe it hinders your prayers from being answered. Both you not praying because you're so bitter, but also the Father holding back from answering, seeking to get your attention because you're his child. I mean, when you do the same at home, your child is defiantly disobedient to your words. Are you really going to take them out and reward their bad behavior that day? Well, I don't know. Maybe today we would because the world's so crazy. I wouldn't. I'd wait till they repent, then take them out. Team, we don't live in this world today. We're to be living in and longing for the world to come. A world absent of evil where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. No more pain, for the former things will have all passed away. And it'll be in that same place where a father makes all things new. But for today, team, we got to use what Jesus sets out as a guideline to pray. That we might be motivated. That we might see his kingdom come today on this as it does every day in heaven. And that we truly might say, Father, not my will today. I don't want my will ever again. I want your will. That's when the ride becomes exciting. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we know that